0: Hello and welcome to The Mastering Show. My name is Ian Shepherd. I'm a mastering engineer and I run the production advice website aimed at helping you get the best results, recording, mixing and mastering your music. And my guest this week is Matt Boudreau, who many of you will already know from the Working Class Audio podcast. Uh, Matt and I have been good friends for a few years now and I'm slightly embarrassed that I haven't invited him on the show before. So Matt, thanks for joining us.
1: Nice to be here, thanks Ian.
0: For those of you who haven't come across Matt yet, he is a mixing and mastering engineer and recently started working in Atmos, particularly, um, and has already picked up some some big name clients like Green Day, Alanis Morissette, and Deaf Heaven. But as I mentioned, he's also the host of the Working Class Audio podcast, which is one of the shows that inspired me to start this podcast. How many years has it been going now? Uh, we're, next year will be 10 years. 10 years. Wow. And coming up for episode 450,
1: I believe, as we record this. Yeah, as we record this, episode 450 comes out today.
0: Fantastic. Who's your guest on that episode? Vance
1: Powell. Very nice. I love
0: your show because it's kind of different to some of the other audio podcasts out there. I mean, people do talk about gear and techniques and all that kind of stuff, but I love the fact that you also dive into things like the challenges of working in the music industry uh, work-life balance, you know, how people manage their time, um, how they manage to get some free time working in this industry, how they handle money, their philosophy to that, and also the, the practical aspects of that. So I really like the, the fact that you kind of dig into what I consider to be the, the real life aspects of uh, the profession. Was that always your intent when you did, was that kind of the the thing that gave you the idea for starting your show?
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. That was all based on the fact that I had uh, a really rough time in my last commercial studio incarnation. It was uh, a a challenge on numerous fronts, from uh, the business front to uh, the gear front to the the family front. Uh, Everything was just going wrong, and (laughs) I left that studio and got off the lease early and came home and made a conscious decision to have a, uh, a monumental shift in how I deal with the world of audio uh, from the business to the personal, etc. And I thought, well, how can I figure this out? So I thought, well, I'll just create a podcast and I'll ask all my friends and see how they do it. <laughs> so it's, it's basically... Uh...
0: Uh, Market research in disguise, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I guess it could be, sure, but yeah. Yeah, but it was really, it was, I think in some ways it was, uh, it was a little bit out of desperation. It was just like, I've got to figure this out and I might as well document the journey of figuring it out. So there, there came the podcast. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sorry that
0: you were in that position where it felt like that. But on the other hand, I think it's it's a great thing that, that has come out of it, you know, because I, I know so many people who listen to your show and, f- and find it helpful and interesting, in, including myself. Um, so I want to talk to you in a minute just quickly about, you know, kind of how you got a start in the audio industry. Um, but I also want to tell people that you have just released a new course called Sonic Foundations for Podcasters and Journalists, which I think is super interesting. I mean, firstly, because it's a pod class meaning, uh, it's for podcasters, but it's in the form of a podcast in the sense that it is audio only, which I think is a very cool kind of twist. You know, there's a ton of video courses out there and there's a ton of written courses and all the rest of it. But for me personally, I love listening to podcasts and, you know, multitasking, doing stuff at the same time. So I think it's a very interesting idea to, to do a course in an audio only format. Um, and also because you're, you're the ideal person to do this, you know, 450 episodes under your belt of a super successful podcast. Um, who better for us to, to get some of this information from, but we'll talk about that, um, in a little while. I am interested to know, how did you get your start in audio engineering? Uh, did you start out as a musician or what was the the path?
1: Uh, I did start out as a musician. I had an interest, uh, when I was in, you know, like, uh, middle school, high school, but then, The world of drumming really took over my life and I wanted to be a rock star. So fast forward many years later, joining a band, leaving um, where I grew up in southern New Mexico, which is like the middle of nowhere for most people, and moving to San Francisco, really with the intent of becoming a household name. And a lot of people discouraged me in my hometown, quite honestly, and were like, oh, that's a one in a million chance you'll never get a record deal. Well, within three years of moving to San Francisco, the band that I moved here with, we got a record deal. Uh, So we toured, we recorded, it went through its cycle. Eventually, the band was dropped. I jumped ship from that band, went to another band, got another record deal, toured, recorded, did the whole cycle. Uh, This time, uh, uh, a lot of touring in Europe and making a record in London. And then eventually, that came to its conclusion. Band was dropped. and. A band had come to me and said, Hey, uh, you're in a band. You've made records on a high level. Uh, How about you produce our record? It was like a local San Francisco band. And that experience right there, uh, from the beginning to the very end, when, and this was the time of CDs, when the CD came out and I saw it in a store and I heard the music on college radio, I was just like uh, a changed person. My mind had shifted dramatically. And I was like, as sad as it was to me, in some respects, I had to leave behind the wannabe rock star. I was like, th- th- this part of me is done. It's time to move on to the next chapter. And the next chapter is, you know, whether it's producer engineer, there's, I'm going to stick it out in audio. That's where my place is. And that's where I've been ever since, since around 1993,
0: 94. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's very cool. So you've, built up a huge amount of experience, it sounds like, as a player, then as an engineer and now as a podcaster. Um and I mean on your show, you've had some amazing guests. Um, you know, I'm thinking about Steve Albini, Andrew Sheps, Michael Brown, Matt Wallace. Did you have an advantage, do you think, going setting it up the show because of the connections that you'd made throughout the rest of the industry, or did you have kind of a few people that you knew and then the rest of it was
1: just networking and asking politely? A lot of it was networking uh, I did have one advantage. Vance Powell and Andrew Sheps were already friends of mine. And by them agreeing to do it, that really was two two key people that I, I feel I should credit with convincing other people because they'd see it and go, oh, Vance Powell, Andrew Sheps. Oh, sure. I'll be on your show because that lent credibility. And in, in in my opinion, I don't know if other people see it that way, but I do. And I owe a, a debt of gratitude to to both Vance and Andrew. Because they've been uh, they've been great supporters and they've been great friends. Yeah, that's really cool. And it,
0: I mean, maybe even if it didn't actually add any credibility, I guess it it would just have helped give you confidence. You know, to, that feeling of being able to say, "Okay, I'm doing this, and it's 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 a real thing. It's legit." Um, because I mean, for, for me, what I've found is that most of the time, when you reach out to people, even who you've never had any prior contact with, they're usually really nice about it. You know, I'm very happy to to come and talk about this stuff that we all do. I mean, I guess what I'm coming from is I'm aware that some people are going to be listening to this thinking that they might like to set up um, a podcast um, and just, you know, would hope that that would be encouraging for them. I mean, I'm curious to know whether there's anything else you feel you've learned over the years or any kind of tips that you would give out to people interested in setting up a podcast of their own.
1: Yeah, I think one tip would be don't act like a fan to the people you're going to interview, act as if you are a peer, uh, or at the very least, just have the respect and treat them like no other person. I think when you turn into a fanboy or a fangirl, you really, you make them feel awkward. So I find that it's just easy to come at people and uh, be direct about your interaction with them. I think. Yeah, I think that's, that's really good advice. I know for myself, I've had people say to me,
0: oh, it's such an honor to talk to you. And that always embarrasses me because I think, well, who am I that it would be an honor to, to talk to me? And then there are people who I feel like it's an honor to talk to and you, you speak to them and they're just regular people like everybody else. So I think that's, uh,
1: yeah, I, I think up front, you know, just, just to be clear, there was one person that I had to, I had to get a little bit of gushing out of the way first. And that was with Eddie Kramer because, Eddie Kramer produced the KISS record, Rock and Roll Over, which was a significant part of my childhood. It was a record passed down from my older brothers, and I played it to death. And I know the songs, you know, backwards and forwards. Um, it's a great record. It's In fact, it's one of my favorite uh, KISS records, and I think one of their best records. And, and um, you know, obviously Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix and all the other records that I grew up with, Eddie had a hand in. So up front, I just had to say, look... <laughs> I listened to these records growing up, so it's really a treat to sit here and talk with you. But he turned out to be the most uh, charming, disarming, uh, funny individual that I've interviewed, one one of them.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's my experience as well, is in some ways, the bigger the name, the nicer the people. Um, it's Which reminds me of my favorite uh, Andrew Shep's quote, which is, how to succeed in the music industry, don't
1: be a dick. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that was an early lesson from Andrew. Just don't be a dick.
0: Yeah, there you go. It's uh, no, that's that's great to hear. Um, so, more recently, I know you've taken the the, the leap and set up with Atmos in your studio, um, and I've done a couple of episodes talking about that. I know people are, are interested in that. So, you know, I'm really excited about the potential for dynamics in particular in the Atmos format. Uh, you know, the the technical requirements mean that you can't go super loud or it won't be possible for the, for the renderer to create a suitable down mix on earbuds or multiple speakers or wherever it is. I'm just curious whether that has played into whether that's been your experience at all or whether it's kind of business as usual what you found kind of challenging and interesting about the the new format
1: uh, i'll agree with you on the headroom available i think in any kind of music in the world of stereo and mixing and 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 for mastering for that matter it's really tempting to just you know make it as loud and crush it and push it up there and Atmos causes you to really rethink that. And my first few attempts at mixing were uh, quite eye-opening because, you know, you have this minus 18 kind of barrier and this minus one true peak barrier. And it's it's amazing how quickly you can cross that barrier. And, hmm. you know, you're working, you're thinking, oh, I'm I'm doing it, it's great. And then you look at the meter and you're like, oh my gosh, look at that. <laughs> I have... I have pole vaulted over the 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 proverbial fence of you know level limitation here in Atmos. Mm-hmm. And so you, you really have to rethink everything. But the bonus of doing that is it really forces your brain into really rethinking how it is you approach power and uh perceive loudness.
0: Yeah. So it's because I've heard that from other people that I've spoken to that one of the big challenges is especially if there is, well, in, in many cases, there is already a stereo mix and master um, that has been made. Uh, so people coming to Atmos mixes now are, to some extent, r- trying to recreate that that same mix in as much as they can in Atmos, whilst also taking advantage of all of the, the extra space and dynamics that they have. And, yeah, I've heard that it can be a real challenge to maintain that feeling of power and intensity that the stereo version has in the... The multi-channel setup, especially because you just you have extra space, obviously. So rather than trying to fit everything into two speakers, you can spread it out amongst potentially twelve um, yeah. or more. There's more room for, for everything to work in, which can be great for some forms of music, but can be a challenge in others. Do you think is that something that you you kind of figured out and you think reasonably easily, or was it a, was it a significant challenge? How did you find it?
1: You know, when I got set up. um I, I did like a lot of people do. I downloaded the Dolby render. I had a pair of headphones. I started to mess around. Highly confused about what it is that the the workflow would be and how this would all happen. Um, and, you know, just kind of stepping back to the podcast for a second, you know, one of the benefits of doing this podcast is it's created a whole network of friendships and um, opened a lot of doors and as a result of the podcast, one of the fans, one of the listeners of the show, turns out was Steve Genowick, who worked with alongside Al Schmidt for many, many years. Close I think close to, you know, at least over 25. I don't know the exact number. But Steve had reached out to me, just kind of introduced himself and said, Hey, I work at Capital. I'm a big fan of your show. Love it. Have a couple of guest suggestions, you know, just kind of, you know, initially getting to know him over that method. And then he reached out and said, Hey, do you, uh, do you want to interview Al Schmidt? Yeah, sure. (laughs) So that happened. And as after that, uh, we started to stay in touch and I'm bringing Steve up in the podcast and, and stepping away from Atmos for a minute for one significant reason. And that is Steve was mixing Atmos long before a lot of other people. And he was doing it before Apple had signed on to support it. And you know, I knew about Atmos from Steve, and along my journey, after setting up, Steve allowed me to come down to Los Angeles, stay at his home, and spend the weekend with him in an intense one-on-one kind of hangout. Where not only did we hang out and go to dinner, and you know, we went to go see, you know, like Steve Gad played played drums and, at some show, but mm. but he also took me around to like we we went out and hung out with Dave Way and. Listen to Atmos at his place. We went over to the PMC demo room um, in Highland Park and listened to Atmos there and talked to to the PMC guys. And then then he sat me down at his house and said, okay, here's my template. Here's how I do this. And he he step-by-step walked me through the whole thing. And after wow. that, I was like, wow, okay, I get it. I 100% get how this is going to work for me. Yeah, that, that's going to put you in good shape. Oh my God. It was just like... <laughs> somebody like take any analogy you will of any, whether it's a sport or, or any kind of competitive event and have one of the, the main competitors take you under their wing and then say, okay, I showed you how to do it. You go do it. And that was such a great, great thing that Steve did. And I'm, you know, once again, another person I'm greatly indebted to for their generosity and and what they do To help me, so back to what we were talking about. After that, I was able to come home, finish the installation, and get going. It still took me, uh, I would say, several months to just keep doing test mixes and trying things out, and going. Okay, there's the level thing. There's the workflow thing. There's the what do you do with all these speakers thing. And eventually, uh, my confidence level just got to a point where. I felt like okay I think I I think I got this I think I know what I'm doing I feel like I could commercially release something and not feel awkward about it. That's fantastic and well and clearly
0: you you've proven that with the the clients you've picked up already for <laughs> I was going to make a joke that, uh, so for anybody listening who wants to get started in Atmos, all you need to do is, you know, spend 10 years on a successful podcast so you can network with the right people to (laughs) help you out. But (laughs) more seriously, that's something that I genuinely have felt for, I mean, I'm not doing anything in Atmos yet, but because I wanted to, because i was excited about the dynamics stuff and because I wanted to offer some information to, you know, people listening to this podcast and people on my YouTube channel, the rest of it. I reached out to a bunch of people and got lots and lots of information. And what I found was that everybody I talked to was really happy to share knowledge and insights. And, and you know, they everybody was just really helpful. They just really wanted to get this format, you know, make it a success, which I think, you know, is just uh, really inspiring, to be honest. It's really positive. It sounds like, you know, I mean, in your case, it was Steve. But, uh, for example, Justin Gray, who was um, my guest, I think, last year, maybe, around about the time of Dynamic Range Day, he has made a four hour long, I believe, YouTube video just working through his mastering workflow for Atmos and really getting into the nitty gritty of the the stuff that you really need to know, you know, and that's just because he feels like it's important information that he wants to share with the community to help other people do a great job of it, which is just, you know, that's a, I think, like I say, I think
1: that's a really inspiring kind of atmosphere to, to be working in. Ironically, I'm interviewing Justin tomorrow for my podcast, so that's... <laughs> that's funny there you
0: go so anybody listening to this can uh, pick up that episode as well
1: uh justin's video is outstanding i've only made it through the first half it's great on a number of levels from an education level but also just if if you've already been working in atmos hearing him talk about certain things and understanding what he's talking about that in itself felt like like i got through that first half and i thought okay he didn't talk about anything i didn't know about and that i that I at this moment understand, because it's a challenging format on a number of levels because it's so new to us in audio. Uh, the film people, of course, it's old hat. I find it an an amazing format. But also, here's something that I want to bring up. and I, I don't know if the listeners uh, can key in on this, but you know we can be very impatient people in terms of wanting desired results of anything we do. And one thing that I'm, I'm pretty okay at is, uh, the long game playing the long game. When I started the podcast, I had no intention of getting to where on that at this moment, uh, knowing these people and having the doors open that have opened. But it just, if you get involved in something, get in it for, uh, the right reasons, get in it for the the sincere passion of doing something or, or the desire to learn because, because I've done that with the podcast, so many other things have come as a result. This Atmos thing, obviously I can't, I can't isolate Atmos or the podcast or anything I've done in, in audio and, and su- silo them off. They, they all interact with one another. And because mm-hmm. of that, you know, being patient not thinking, Oh, I've got to get to this finish line by a certain date. And, and I want success now. Um, things are really, even, you know, at this part of my life in my fifties are really starting to come together. And, uh, that's, that can be hard for some people to, to wait things out and to be patient. Uh, because great things will come. I mean, I've, I've been at this almost 30 years in audio, and some people would have dropped out long ago had they not seen success within the first five to ten. But, you know, I've kind of stuck it out there with a lot of indie projects like many, many listeners have. And I'm just now hitting on, as you had alluded to, some higher-profile projects with this Atmos thing in particular.
0: Yeah, I, I think that that's great advice. Um, yeah, you're right. It's It, it can be... A real challenge. Speaking of that, I just want to turn the tables on you briefly. Um, I'm curious to know how, because you talk about this on your show all the time, and it's it's not something that I dig into so much. How do you handle the the work life balance side of things? You know, because at this point, you know, you've got this super successful podcast, and you've had, I believe, basically an episode every week since you started. Um, that in itself is a huge commitment. I know that you have sponsors for the show, obviously, so that, uh, you, you are effectively earning money while you do that, but then you also have client work that you have to fit in, um, around all of that. And yeah, you've, you've got a family. How does, you've got any suggestions on that side of things?
1: Yeah. Get out of bed early in the morning and get cracking. Right. <laughs> Which you do, right? <laughs> I do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't always do it. I mean, I, I, I will be the first to admit, you know, on a Saturday morning, I'm just like, leave me alone. <laughs> don't talk to me. I just want to lay in bed. But then I, even I, you know, on a weekend will, you know, finally realize, okay, it's, it's 7.30. I can't stay in this bed any longer. But, you know, I'm usually up as a result of having two school-age kids uh, at 5.45, 6, 6, 6.30 a.m. at the latest uh, to make sure that they're up and running and they're getting off to school and even in the summertime I've made attempts to sleep in and it's 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 tough because you get used to that getting up and your brain starts to go crazy I do stay up late still though you know it's it's difficult for me not to cuz I just my brain is going and I'm thinking about stuff and even if I'm not I'm I'm up late watching some whatever mixed with the masters video or Reading an article or listening to an audiobook, or, you know, worst case, sitting on the couch streaming Netflix series. But, um, hmm. yeah, the sleep thing is important. I think the, um, get as much of that as you can. I, I think it's just, it's a desire. It's a, it's a passion. It's, a, it's like a, you have to be driven to some degree. And whether I'm willing to admit it or not, I am a driven and semi competitive person at heart. I'm also hmm. a very, um, social person. I'm an extrovert. And talking to people really drives me. It, it it influences me. It inspires me. And it really keeps me moving. It's the fuel that keeps my life moving, I have to admit. So, yeah. And then as far as, you know, making it work for the family, I don't know. Somehow I just make it work, you know? I mean, yeah, sure. There's some times where I'm on a call where uh, I'm on like a, like a 90 minute call and I walk out of my, out, out of my studio and my youngest is, who's now 15 is sitting there going, that was the longest call. When are we going to eat dinner? <laughs> and and I'm on, you know, and it's generally, you know, 4.30, 5 o'clock where I'm just now starting to think about dinner. So I don't know. It's, we make it work. My wife works full-time. You just make it happen. You, you squeeze it in where you can. I also work from home and I've consciously chosen to mix, uh, primarily and, and master as well at home. It's where I'm most comfortable at this point in my life. It allows me flexibility. I don't work with clients around. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's, it's kind of rare for clients to even be with me. That allows me the opportunity to just say, okay, I may want to finish this mix right now, but my family is wanting to eat dinner together, so we're going to eat dinner together. And or it's uh, maybe I have a podcast I want to I want to you know finish finish up and get get done before uh, its deadline. But maybe the family wants to you know go into uh, go out to a restaurant for lunch, or maybe we want to go uh, do some shopping excursion in San Francisco. I will stop and I will do that stuff unless there's some absolute pressing deadline, I will go and and spend time with the family. So that's, that's how I make it work. Not everybody has that advantage to be working from home, but you know, I'm willing to just kind of not put my clients to the side, but make sure I take care of the clients when I'm with them. And when I'm not with them, uh, you know, like metaphorically with them, I do what I need to do to get their, their project done. But then, you know, I, I will stop and, and take care of family life because that's important
0: yeah i think that's a great point uh i do something similar actually to, you know it's yeah there's a deadline for the client um but then there are priorities for family life and you you kind of fit the two around each other um, it's funny hearing you talk about getting up early in the morning um because i'm the exact opposite i'm a night owl so the idea of oh it's seven thirty. i really should get up Seven thirty is about the earliest i would ever choose to get up i mean i also <laughs> get up earlier than that because of because of kids and school commitments and stuff but uh yeah so i guess i'm the other way around in the sense that it's easy for me to maybe work late at night sometimes um but yeah that's another good suggestion right is to just know your own know whether are you you a
1: a night owl or an early bird and to kind of maximize your effectiveness based on that well in case in point i mean our call this morning was at 7 a.m my time and i just you know 6 a.m my eyes opened up i was like okay, I, I got to eat, I got to shower, I got to get ready to talk to Ian this morning. And my brain just can't shut off. And as, and as much as I wanted to stay in bed, <laughs> I knew I couldn't. Yeah, that's sometimes a superpower I wish I had. Okay, that's
0: very cool. But um, I want to talk about your your course, your pod class, Sonic Foundations for Podcasters and Journalists. Maybe you can just tell us a little bit about it. You know, What is it? Where did the idea come from? Um, and yeah, what people can expect if they want to give it a try.
1: Yeah. During uh, COVID, there was the emergence of this form of, I guess you could call it social media. There were things like Fireside and Clubhouse that kind of cropped up. You know, as we're all cooped up in our houses, we all want some kind of interaction. And this Clubhouse thing came around. And what it was, was you, you know, join this uh, almost like a chat room with audio only. There would be, you could, you could, you know, put on these chat rooms. And so I would join these rooms. I would meet a lot of, um, actually quite honestly, the topic-based rooms for audio. I think that's how I want to say that the rooms whose topics were audio. I would join those rooms and it would be a bunch of dudes talking about, you know, in some cases I would run into rooms where it was like a bunch of former alumni from some studio in the East Coast or something. And, and the those guys just dominating the conversation about that. And there was, it didn't seem to be much to learn. It was, it was like a room of dudes sitting around bragging uh, about, you know, studio escapades or whatever. And I was just like, this is boring. Mm-hmm. There wasn't very many other pro audio type spaces. So I ended up finding myself poking around in the podcasting area, sitting around listening to like, you know, other podcasters and some people would be telling of their audio woes and finally i i got the courage to just kind of jump in and go well let me help you with that and i started to like answer people's questions and help people out in this world of clubhouse i and answering questions for people i ended up meeting michael castaneda and tanner campbell both who were in the world of kind of podcasting and audio and and many, some other branches of audio, and they became guests on the show. And then I met this guy, Mark Sullivan, who was kind of a a person who really had a few bits of knowledge about audio. As it turns out, he he actually ended up, um, he came from the world of snowboarding. He had a snowboarding magazine. He ended up selling it. And he had spent time like being a commentator for, you know, the Winter Olympics. Just a, a very fascinating dude. So Mark and uh, Tanner and Michael and I would end up in these rooms and I would chat with them and they would quiz me about, you know, audio things. And I ended up, you know, helping out a lot of people in the podcasting world with regards to audio. And even at, there was a point at which, and and the listeners might even be able to find these, uh, Mark came to me at some point and said, Hey, there's this other platform called Fireside. How about you and I go over and we'll host a show called Matt and Mark's Mic Check, and we will answer people's questions about audio. I'll play more of the—he said, you know, he would play more of the host, I would be more of the expert, and we would help out people in the world of uh, podcasting with their their audio questions. So that— you know, that ended, we, you know, Clubhouse became boring. I got off of it. The Matt and Mark's mic check didn't really have much of an audience. So I just told Mark, I said, I think I need to step away from this. Uh, as cool as it is, I don't really think it's going anywhere. So fast forward a, a bit and I started to think there are large swaths of people who know how to put together a podcast. They're They're journalists and they have some experience with audio. They know how to assemble a show in kind of a rough manner for whether it's a journalistic piece or a podcast and I thought those are the people I want to help people who already have a little bit of knowledge and can do some stuff but never got the fundamentals of audio and don't really understand you know where all of this comes from and and how it all mm-hmm. interconnects so mm-hmm. I thought okay well I sure don't want to do a video I want to do an audio based course so I'll call it you know a pod class and I'll take that and market it as this course and, and, you know, try to market it to those people who do have that experience. Not to say that a beginner couldn't listen to it and absolutely uh, piece together what's going on in audio for the most part, but it was really meant for, for the podcasters and the journalists to, to solidify their knowledge. And that was all based on those experiences on Fireside and, and Clubhouse. So that's, that's essentially where that came from. That's really interesting um, because I was also
0: playing around with Clubhouse um, during lockdown and yeah, it kind of astonished me. <laughs> there were some very knowledgeable people with insanely poor audio quality, um, which, I mean, I guess some of that would have been down to circumstances. You know, the great thing about social media is all you need is a phone to take part. But if all you have is a phone to take part and you're using it in a, a I don't know, a room with hard stone floors and no soft furnishings and stuff and you're... Three feet away from the the device, it's it's never going to sound great, and then it all goes through a streaming codec and all the rest of it. But um, yeah, I certainly was kind of thinking at that time. You know, there's there's a bunch of people who could benefit from from just some simple stuff, like getting the mic close to your face and,
1: <laughs> and yeah. that kind of stuff. You know, the and a couple things to say about that. Well, in in the world of Clubhouse, I quickly learned that in order to have effective audio in that platform, you needed either, uh, I think it was a Zoom pod tracker or a, a, a Rode, Rodecaster Pro device. So I, I bought a Rodecaster Pro, the not the microphone, but the, like the little mixing thing. It allowed you to plug in a series of microphones and pair of headphones and plug it into your computer, like an interface, whatever device it was, it doesn't really matter. But the point is, is it allowed me to utilize my RE20, which I'm talking to you on now and talk to these people. And one of their comments was always like, what, what mic is that? And <laughs> cause you sound so good. And I'm like, well, it's an RE20 and I have it connected to this roadcaster pro and, you know, I'd explain what I came to the conclusion of for me is that, I don't know if everybody feels this way, but I think it doesn't matter how smart you are, how well you present. But if your audio kind of sucks, it dilutes your message a bit. It really kind of makes you seem, I think people zone out. Like when you hear some somebody even talking about you know something as dry as you know business talk, if they're doing it and they're sitting, it's clear, they're sitting at their desk, they're using some kind of you know uh, speakerphone situation and you hear the room and it's cavernous sounding and the audio isn't clear. Uh, it doesn't have to be clear and crisp, but it just doesn't sound full. I think people start to tune you out and it really started to make me think how you present in this day and age with your audio is critical. It's crucial, I think. And it doesn't matter if you're a podcaster doing an audio show like you or I or you're doing maybe a business podcast or even just doing a a course or presentation, any kind of thing where audio is included. I think the audio quality and how you appear you know, sonically is, is super critical. So, Mm. because I heard so many people on there, I'm like, are you in your kitchen? What, like, what, how are you talking to me? Like, this sounds awful. And that was the basis of Matt and Mark's mic check is Mark and I would comment on how people sounded. That was the basis of the show. And then we used a, um, we got a Christopher Walken sound alike to, uh, write a bunch of, uh, we wrote a bunch of lines, had this person say these lines and then we would put them into the pads of our roadcasters. Mark would say something like, Matt, what do you think of this person's audio? And I, I would say what I think. And then um, Mark would say, Chris, what do you think? And then he we would hit a button and it would be like Christopher. It sounded exactly like Christopher Walken saying, you know, I think it sounds like a chicken uh, with, you know, with your head up your butt or something like that. It was like ridiculous <laughs> how funny it was, but it just never took off. I really like that idea. I think maybe there. you should you should
0: try that again. It's um I think that's got a ton of potential. I mean, I completely agree with you though about needing good audio. I mean and it funnily enough since we're kind of talking about lockdown times it reminds me so here in the UK we got locked down in I think early March 2020 and Dynamic Range Day came soon after that. And I remember asking people, you know, do you think I should even do it this year? Is that something that people would want? And the the response came back pretty clearly, yes, people still wanted me to do the event, which I did. But the first 10 minutes or so of the webcast, the video is basically just mush because there was so many uh, demands on the bandwidth at that point and the telecom companies hadn't caught up with it. Um, I was you know, running it at kind of peak time in the evening when people would be streaming a bunch of stuff. But luckily, the audio got through crystal clear. So, I mean, it wasn't ideal, but at least people could still hear what was going on and it still felt moderately uh professional i was able to say i'm really sorry about the image quality hopefully it's going to clear up soon which luckily it did whereas if my image had been completely well i'm pretty sure that i've done another live stream where i actually accidentally muted my mic for about three minutes <laughs> um and <laughs> you know that's that's a complete disaster right that's it's kind of the exact opposite in the sense of like no audio is the exact opposite of good audio um anyway um yeah, so I've had a sneak preview of, of Matt's course, and I loved it. I mean, it's, it's super clear and thorough. It's really kind of comprehensive and systematic, just walking you through basically the entire signal chain, by which I mean, like, from the point where the sound comes out of your mouth to the point where it goes into the listener's ears. You know, you, you've structured it to kind of initially talk about that, that kind of chain, if you like, without any recording recording equipment involved and then how that changes when you do in, introduce recording equipment and then you talk about each of the different stages of that process of converting the sound in the air into an electrical signal that can be recorded and then reproduced. I'm sure a lot of people already listen to your podcast but if you haven't um, I'm sure by this point you've enjoyed how calm and straightforward Matt's presentation style is and the way that he he talks It's very clear kind of super intelligible the advice you're giving is really practical. You you kind of keep it really simple without dumbing it down. Um, you know, you you talk about all the different, you know, so everything from kind of the cheapest options to the most expensive, but then give kind of real-world feedback, I guess, or recommendations. You know, you know, you probably don't need to spend a ton on this, but I do recommend you don't skimp on this part of the, you know, your audio gear. Like, for example, you need a good mic. Um, yeah, I think it's just, it'll be great for anyone feeling kind of overwhelmed by all the jargon and conflicting advice that you you see out there you know I mean like one of the things that had not really occurred to me before I listened to the course was just you know you and I and maybe a lot of people listening to this but kind of take it for granted that yeah you have a mic then you have a preamp then you have an A to D converter then you have a recorder you know all those things but sometimes all of those things are combined into one piece of equipment right Um, so you kind of have a standalone um, system and that kind of thing could be really confusing for anybody who's not got experience in the in the audio industry i mean especially at this point if somebody has maybe experience at doing journalism or some kind of presenting but they've never been on the technical side of the of the equation i think this this course will be really really helpful for anybody in that uh, situation so i i highly recommend it um matt is there anything else you want to kind of tell people about it um at this point
1: it's an existing set of modules in the course, and my intention is is to add addendums to it as as time goes along so that it, it can grow. And it's really meant to be uh, something of, a, I guess, of a, a bit of a reference. It's like, yeah, you, you can go through the course and you can digest all the information, but once you have access to it, then you've got access to it for the long term and you can refer back to it. That's kind of what I had hoped people would do because, you know, audio, the understanding of audio takes some time. And at the end of the day, people are just trying to get their work done. They're trying to get their show out. And if they can uh, add to their knowledge and just get better at what they do, like I said, you know, I just going back to what I was indicating earlier, play the long game, like get the course, listen to the modules and you don't even have to listen to it all at once. And you don't really even have to listen to it in order if you already understand some parts, but, uh, you can even go, go in and find the pieces that you don't understand now, get a hold of those and, and digest those or, you know, or go and order it, however you want to do it. It's, it's there as a long-term thing for you to take in the information and increase your knowledge. And some of you might be asking, you know, well, okay, I, I make music, so maybe this doesn't fit for me. It actually does. It's all the same, really. I mean, I called it, you know, for podcasters and journalists, but really it's for anybody. It's for anybody that wants to understand audio because all the principles apply. I'm just marketing it to podcasters and journalists. If you're a person who who does music or if you're a DJ or I don't care what you do, if you do audio, then this would be a smart uh, thing to get, if you don't understand all the parts of, of how everything interconnects. And I think, and Ian, I don't know if you agree with me, but I think understanding the signal flow is probably more important than understanding any one piece of gear. Uh, because if you walk into a studio, whether it's, you know, a multimillion dollar facility or a home studio with a laptop and a Focusrite interface, As long as you understand signal flow you'll understand how to use that space because you know as we talk here we know where our voices are going you know or at least ian and i do we know the 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 path that they're traveling to get to their destination and as long as you understand that which is what i teach in the in the course i think it really demystifies a lot of the the world of audio in general
0: yeah i completely agree i think it gives you the framework to you know it's not like Matt saying you're going to walk into a studio with a an EVE or an SSL and suddenly understand everything that's going on but yeah if you can understand that okay that's the part of the system that's doing this and that's where you know you, you yeah exactly it's, it's a framework that you can kind of swap any of those elements in or out if you like and be flexible with the with the way that you work and understand how they fit together and what's important and where maybe you need to pay more attention or where everything is handled uh, i think it's 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 a great overview it's interesting it kind of reminded me a little bit of a textbook in audio form which i think is something that's super challenging to do because personally i find textbooks <laughs> kind of completely overwhelming um, in the sense that you know it was co- so comprehensive and and well set out um everything felt completely kind of intelligible to me and uh, very easy to grasp which i think uh, is a real skill so so congrats
1: well, thanks. And I think that, you know, your comment on the textbook, that's pretty spot on. And maybe it comes down to how I learn best. I learn best by either listening or watching. I'm a slow reader. And maybe that's, you know, whether I realized it or not, maybe that's part of the reason why I put it together this way. Because like, if, if you sent me a textbook on how the freeway system works in, in, a, in a country, um, I think I'd be overwhelmed. But if you just like, if I if I listen to a piece of audio that says, we say, you know, on-ramps and off-ramps, do you say slip roads? Is that what you say? Yeah. <laughs> the, the way you get on and off the freeway? Anyway, yeah. um, if you were to explain that to me in a textbook, I, I think I would be confused. But if you just said, look, if you want to get your car in the freeway, you get on the slip road or the on-ramp and you want to get off, you get on the, uh, do you also say slip road for that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we say off. <laughs> so we've got a couple different terms, but... You know, if you look, if you look at, a, at a system of, of uh, freeway uh, interworkings, you know, uh, different roads crisscrossing around each other, that could be confusing. But if you understand, well, I just want to get to, you know, the coffee shop. Well, how do I get on the freeway? Well, you get on right here. And I explain mm-hmm. that to you, and then I tell you how to get off the freeway to get to the coffee shop. So I'm making, obviously, a ginormous metaphor here, but you get the point absolutely and we could
0: figure out what um, traffic lights and roundabouts are as relates to the audio signal path as well but that's probably going way too far down the rabbit hole <laughs> that's too many um, metaphors <laughs> absolutely uh, so for
1: anybody listening who's interested to try this um where can they go to find out more about the course you can go to sonicfoundations.com And that will take you there. I think we have a discount for your listeners. Do we know?
0: Yeah, I was going to say, Matt has been very kind and set up a coupon code, which is simply TMS, all caps. Um, If you use that uh, code at the checkout, you can get 30% off the course. And uh, by doing that, you'll also be helping support The Mastering Show as well. So it's a win-win. So Matt, thank you so much for setting that up for people.
1: Absolutely. I hope people take advantage of it and they enjoy it. And um, yeah, there's a lot to learn there.
0: Fantastic. So thank you so much for coming on the show. As I say, it's a, I, you should have been a guest years ago but it's great to to have you finally for anybody else if you're not already listening to matt's podcast it is fantastic and there's there's plenty of episodes to catch up on but maybe episode 450 would be a great place to start you can go to workingclassaudio.com you can find it on apple podcasts or google podcasts or spotify all the usual places that you get your podcasts please head over there subscribe and of course if you enjoy it leave a fantastic rating or review so matt thanks
1: so much for joining us Oh, Ian, always great to talk to you.
0: And thanks, as always, to John for editing and mastering the episode, to Kaylee Law for letting us use his music, and thanks to you for listening.